what we're going to do when you get married is combine finances. Mm -hmm. And this is where we're going to sit down together and it's not just his debts on one side and her debts on the other. We're actually going to make a list where we begin to combine those and we're going to go smallest to largest and it's no longer his and hers. It's our debt. Yeah. Welcome to Getting Money Right, a show dedicated to helping you achieve financial freedom through education and inspiration so you can be free to pursue your true life's purpose. We are your hosts, Leo Sabo and David Thompson. And on today's episode, we're starting a small series on the different stages of relationships, from dating to pre-marriage to newly married, and then finally to long-term successful marriages. So the first episode is going to be on dating and pre-marriage. Yeah, Leo, when you look at the culture around us, a lot of people are staying single longer. And some people are planning to never get married. And so I thought it'd be interesting to look at just a few statistics on dating and marriage and overall financial net worth of people who do get married and what the impact is on their financial lives. So the median net worth in 2010, this is according to the 2010 Census Bureau, for couples who are 55 to 64, and that same age range goes across all, for married couples, it was $261,000. That was the median net worth for couples that are married, Mm -hmm. 55 to 64. When you go to a single male, the median net worth is $71,000. And then a single female, it's $39,000. Wow, there's huge differences. So when you have a married couple who's in a committed relationship over a long time, the growth of wealth is expansive. It's huge. Uh, you see a major difference. It's literally three, more than three times the single male and almost eight times the single female. And so I think it's important for us to realize that long-term committed relationships are extremely healthy uh, in our lives for, there's actually been great research studies that have been done on our physical health, but also on our financial health. So I think that there really is a good case here to be made for what it looks like to date and then settle down and get married and be in a long-term committed relationship. Definitely better financially. And I know in many other ways it is a better a happier, more fulfilling life when you have somebody to do life with. Yes. And that's just been proven over time. Yeah, somebody that you can trust and you can share things with and that you can uh, have, their, they're looking out for you and you're looking out for them and you really have each other's best interest at heart. In fact, I think it's really interesting. Uh, poverty is something that has been in the news a lot recently and something that we talk about from time to time is dealing with debt and stepping out of poverty and what it looks like to, to pull yourself out of that. Mm-hmm. But if you just look at some of the basic things that people can do to avoid poverty, uh, the Brookings Institute did a big study and they came up with four basic things. One is that you graduate from high school. Mm. Two is that you wait to get married until after 21 and then that you don't have children until after being married. Now, right. both of those are relationship-related. Waiting yes, are. waiting a little bit till you've matured past 21 and waiting to have kids inside of marriage. And then three is just having a full-time job. If you do all three of those things, graduating high school, waiting till after 21 to get married, having a full-time job, then the chance of you falling into poverty is just 2%. Wow. And you have a 74% chance of being in the middle class. Hmm. So the statistics here and the importance of being in relationships and doing things in just a proper time, having a few basics in place, dramatically changes the course of your life. So we want to talk about what does that look like in our dating relationship, our pre-marriage relationship, and long-term success. 
Yeah, as you were talking, David, it reminds me of, of a scripture uh, in Ecclesiastes. Solomon said that two are better than one because they have a good reward for their labor. If they fall, one would lift up his companion. But woe to him who's alone when he falls, right? So it's, it's this idea that if you're doing it alone, it's just you. If you make mistakes, there's nobody to tell you, hey, you're about to make a mistake. Yeah. I know in our relationship, my wife and I, over the years, there's been times when she has been the voice of reason and wisdom that has helped us to prevent going down a path that we most certainly would have suffered some financial uh, difficulty or setback. Same thing for me, being able to provide a certain perspective that helped us to make a better decision. So I think it's so crucial to understand that it's not just the institution of marriage. It's what physically happens when you have two people, two minds, two personalities coming together, most of the time complementing each other. That's, what right. mar- that's why it's such a beautiful thing is that it, it complements each other. Where my wife is strong, I'm weak. Where she's weak, I'm strong. And that's the, the beauty of marriage and, and this relationship of marriage that allows and affords this ability to just be better off in so many different areas of life. Yeah, yeah, you can't see your whole body. If you were to try to look at yourself, you can see your hands, you can see your legs, but you can't look at your nose, at least not very well. You can't look uh, at your hair. You have to look at a mirror. It has to be something outside of yourself to take a reflection and look back at your whole self. Well, relationships and being in a married relationship, you have somebody outside of yourself that can look at you and identify the things that you can't see in yourself. And they complement you well, and they can also help heal some of the areas where you're broken over time because they can step in and help you see the areas that need to be healed and help bring life to that area. So it's a really neat opportunity, and I think it's important to talk about that inside of finances. You know, we've all heard the statistic that 50% of marriages end up in divorce, and if you dig deeper, you find out that a majority part of the arguments that they have is over finances. In fact, 60% of couples in marriage counseling identify money as a major problem in their relationship. And so in counseling, the things that I think counselors have consistently shown is that there's uh, fighting, there's tears, there's anger, there's unforgiveness, and really a lack of unity. There's a disunity that prevents couples from being able to work together. And I don't know anything else that can separate two couples more than finances. Yeah. And unity is such a key. And that's why we want to talk about what it takes in your dating relationship to set up and learn about the person that you're dating to be ready for a pre-marriage relationship and begin to ask the questions, is this the person that I want to spend the rest of my life with? And are they healthy and ready for that kind of long-term commitment? And then talk about what it means when we first get married and what do those newlywed years look like and have a plan for long-term success. So Leo, let's just talk first a little bit about dating and that season where you are, you're first falling in love with somebody. You've met this incredible person and some of those experiences that come up. Yeah. I I remember it's been a while, but I do remember when I first started dating Natalie, I was working, she was working. We're both just out of high school. And so we both had jobs and in the process of dating, I recall just being overly generous. I would buy her gifts all the time. I would bring her flowers almost every week. Uh, I remember there was a season where I would bring her a rose a day, you know. That's awesome. I remember, I didn't realize what I was doing. Later on, I found out about the five love languages. Yeah. And so I, what I recognized I was doing is I was hitting on every single one of those love languages. Because in a sense, what we're trying to do is we're trying to figure this person out. And when when they do something that, and the response is positive, we're like, we need to do more of that. They liked it, right? right? So when I would buy her a gift, 
she enjoyed it. She liked it. I liked the way she responded. So I just kept doing it more. And the problem with that, though, is I remember <clears throat> she makes this joke sometimes when she when we talk about our early dating and then pre-marriage life, how she she will say that she thought I was rich, you know, <laughs> uh, and it's a joke now because obviously I was not rich, but I gave her the impression that I was rich because I would buy her all these gifts. But the problem is that we never had the financial conversation until later. So one of the things that we need to be careful of is that it could be a real shock to somebody when you finally get serious, you get engaged, you get married, and now you start talking about money. The real picture comes alive. And if you'd never had the conversation until you actually married and now you're putting your, your basically your finances and comes through the same mail and comes to the same address, right. and now you find out the mess that you're in or that they're in, uh, it could be a real shock. They could find out. Maybe, maybe you know, what if what if Natalie thought I was rich, and then as soon as we got married, she realizes, oh, he's not rich. Oh, my goodness, <laughs> he's poor. Right. Like, that's not what I wanted. Right. I'm out of here. Right. right. I mean, she could have felt that way. Thankfully, she didn't. But my point is, there has to be a transparency that happens, and, and there's no better time to do that than early in the relationship. Of course, you can't do it on the first, second date, but there has to be a point where you start to talk about those big uh, important things like money. Yeah. Well, and you're talking about the big shock of when the person realizes, oh, maybe this other person doesn't have as much money as I thought they did. Mm-hmm. Well, what if you get married and the big shock is that the other person was using debt to buy all those presents and right. nice things. Right. And so the other person's been going through using a credit card to buy the flowers and the candy and <laughs> the nice dates. And then you get married and now together you're racked with all that debt. Mm-hmm. Uh, that can be very emotionally traumatizing. Sure. And so you want to have some of these conversations early on. Now, again, like Leo said, uh, you've got to have strength in the relationship before you begin to ask these questions. But you've got to, at some point, begin to probe and say, okay, let's dig into the financial side of this a little bit. So I'm curious, what did you and Ashley, how, how does that play out for you guys when you started dating? How did you manage that side of it? Yeah, so I when we first started dating... Uh, I definitely lean towards um, I being the guy I'm going to pay for the meals and the date nights. Mm -hmm. And then as our relationship grew and we got to know each other better, I'd probably say three, four, five months in, Mm -hmm. um, probably three months in, if, if not a little bit longer than that, but about three months in, we would begin to talk about, okay, uh, let's set a limit of what we're going to spend on each date night. And mm. so we'd get together every weekend because Ashley was going to school a little bit further north. And so to meet, we would meet in the middle, kind of on the weekends and maybe once during the week if we could. But we'd say, we're going to have $40 a week or a weekend that we can spend together mm. on some kind of date. And the way that we set that up is I was working full time and she was working part time on a few different things. And so I would put $30 into an envelope every week. And she would put $10 into the envelope every week. And so together, we'd have $40 so we could spend however we wanted. Right. And if we didn't use it, then we'd just roll it over, and then we'd have a bigger date the next time around, or uh, we could go see a concert or do something bigger. Mm-hmm. And so it wasn't it wasn't right off the bat, but pretty early on in our relationship, yeah. we started to have that conversation of she didn't want it to be where I felt pressure to always pay for everything. And, uh, and then I, we also wanted to respect the fact that I was earning a little bit more than her at the time. Mm-hmm. Uh, so we split it up, uh, 75%, 25%. Yeah. That's really neat. Now I got to say that that's probably very odd. I don't think that's a normal thing. <laughs> that's so, true. so what led you guys to even 
make that agreement or talk about it. I yeah. Mean, obviously, three months into the relationship to really talk about money and then start to plan even your dates around who puts what into the pot, so to speak. That's different. I mean, I I guarantee you that was not thinking that way. Yeah. So, so kind of what, tell, yeah, us, tell well, us what it was that brought you to, to yeah, discuss the, those things that way. When we started dating, we began looking for a church that was right in between us. And so uh, we would meet for Sunday service and we'd go to church together and we got plugged into some of the programs of the church right. and began to learn about finances together and read a book that our senior pastor had wrote uh, called The Blessed Life by Pastor Robert Morris. And it just opened up our eyes to some new ways of seeing things. Mm. And it caused us very early on to have a lot of healthy communication on finances. Oh, that's great. That's great. So that's a plug, by the way, that <laughs> yeah. we, need, we need to put in there. Because one of the things that I think when you're dating, you're not thinking about is financial education. Yeah, right? big we, time. we just don't really think about that. We're, we're just so enamored with this relationship and this person. And we just, you know, we want to devote all our free time to it. But the fact that you guys were obviously, you know, you had a value of wanting to have a, uh, a spiritual life and then finding a church that both of you can attend together, but then jumping into a financial course yeah. before you even decided to get married or say I do or even propose, I think that was so, so crucial. So just to plug for those that are out there dating, it's never too early to start learning about finances, whether you do it with your significant uh, you know, other, so to speak, or you just do it now, even right. before you find right. someone that you really want to spend the rest of your life with. It's a good idea to jump in. And there are classes, not just in churches, but, you know, go to DaveRamsey.com, go to LeoSabo.com and learn yeah. about, learn about these things that are not, they're not so difficult that you can't master them. Uh, it just takes some intentionality. Yeah. Um, I remember it was a couple of years uh, in, well, not a couple of years. It was about a year into our relationship that then I began to ask even more questions and okay. dig further into, okay, student loans and sharing with her what my student loans were. So all of this was a step-by-step -step methodical process, uh, but learning together early on mm -hmm. was so healthy for us because we were listening to outside experts beyond just the financial baggage that I brought in and the financial baggage that she brought in. Right. It wasn't, oh, well, I was raised this way and you were raised that way. It was, well, what do the experts say? And let's go do that together. And we didn't combine finances while we were dating, but we started to have those conversations and we did combine that little envelope. You know, we had that little $40 envelope every week and it was a ton of fun. That's great. Well, I think in any relationship, you have to cross certain bridges. There's a certain amount of trust that's being built over time. And if you put too much weight on that bridge, it could collapse. But that's why I said you don't have a conversation like that in the first and second date. But yeah, later on, as you begin to realize, okay, I trust this person to a certain degree. I, what I know about them, I really like, and, uh, and I want to go further. But you cannot wait indefinitely to have that conversation, right? Right. Especially when it comes to money, because it's such a, such a difficult topic, or can be. And I remember, I mean, I, I give you so much credit, you and Ashley, for talking about those things. But again, you you took some steps. You were exposed to some education that yeah. that prompted you to do that. That's why we're recommending people do this. There was nobody like that in my life. There was no classes that were being offered through my church or right. or through you know my my school. Uh, that were t that were prompting me and Natalie to have that conversation. So that is one area we never talked about mm -hmm. until after we got married. Wow! And it was the one area, literally the only area in our marriage that we ever battled over. You know, and it's crazy because had we, I, I truly believe, had we had that conversation prior to getting married, had we followed a similar path as you and Ashley yeah. did, I think our marriage would have been so much better. I, and I was asking Natalie the other day. Because uh, we're, we're approaching 30 years of marriage this year. 
And I asked her, I said, you know, how would you define the, you know, the first 10, the next 10, the next 10? It says the first 10 were not good. <laughs> and I'm like, okay, enough said. Let's move okay, to the second 10. Let's go to the next. And, yeah. I, and I knew what she was talking about. I was a control freak. Money was an issue. Uh, I worked my tail off trying to get us rich and to try to have everything that I, that I possibly could get that I thought was going to make me happy. And to a degree, you know, she, she grew up a little bit like me, both of us somewhat of a, a poverty uh, mentality and, and, you know, poor homes, not nothing extravagant. So both of us wanted to have stuff, you know, we thought that was going to make us happy and whatever, but not having those conversations and then coming to the table with these different perspectives and selfish perspectives, uh, both pulling in different directions, man, it just, it caused a real mess the first 10 years. And it wasn't until we got our finances in order and started to see that piece that then we can, you know, our marriage really felt like it should have felt from the beginning. Yeah. So I just, I just really want to emphasize this to those out there that either are just newly married or or thinking about marriage. It's so crucial that you have this conversation, that you ask the tough questions and be okay with realizing that it's better to find out now and work through it uh, than to find out later and realize you can't work through it. Right. You have different values, you have different uh, beliefs. That would be really hard. Yeah. We've got a seven-week pre-marriage class at the church, and I always teach the week on finances to help the young married couples begin to talk about finances, begin to talk about their debt, begin to talk about building a budget together, combining their finances. And, and it's always a really, really fun session. But at the end of it, it's only one, one hour, you know, it's a one hour session in a seven week program. And so I'll say what you really, really, really need to do is get into a multi-week or a multi-session class just on finances, because you have to have good mentorship and leadership walking you on this journey. So you can begin to ask the questions in a healthy environment where you're surrounded by people who care about you Mm -hmm. uh, in public, and you can begin to unearth some of the things that you believe that you didn't even know that you believe. Because there are things inside of us that we don't even realize are causing us to make decisions that are harming us. And we didn't even know it's there, but our spouse might be able to see it Mm -hmm. or the person you're dating may be able to see it. And if that can come out early before you've gotten married and you can realize that before you go into the marriage, it's really, really neat. Yeah, absolutely. So we have a list of questions that we'd like to propose. Yeah. And we'll have these in our show notes. And we really encourage you, if you're, especially if you're dating, even, even if you're just newly married, this, these, these are good questions that we would recommend you go through. Maybe not all of them, but certainly pick some of these and go through them. And it'll give you a platform to begin to speak and find common ground on. So number one would be, what memories do you have of your parents handling money? This is really important because so many of us don't realize that our money habits and our behavior comes from what we've seen and what we've experienced. We've adopted this way of thinking because we are influenced in a certain way. Yeah, they say that more is caught than mm-hmm. taught. Absolutely. And that's because kids, you may teach them one thing, but they're going to pick up what you actually do. And so if you're saying one thing, but you're doing something else. Absolutely. And so when you go into a marriage relationship, uh, the person that you're sitting across from, your new your new partner in all, all of life, you know, your your husband or wife, your spouse is going to have some conceptions about what their spouse should do. I'm, mm-hmm. you know, going in, I'm thinking, oh, Ashley should do these things because that's what I saw my parents do. And right. there's just the assumption that's going to happen. 
But that's why this is a great starter question. You just ask, you just kind of toss it up. Hey, what memories do you have of your parents handling money? Mm-hmm. And then you can begin to just you know have honest conversation. Well, I saw my parents fight over money because there wasn't enough. And that caused me to want to go to business school and make a lot of money. And so I was worried about money and I carry a little bit of that fear with me into the marriage. Yeah. Let's have that conversation. You know, let's have that be open so that your spouse can look at you and say, okay, right now you're experiencing fear, but it's not necessarily a warranted fear. Right. And and let's begin to alleviate that and figure out how do we solve that problem. It just gives a lot of great healthy communication. Absolutely. I, I do love that question because there's so many follow-up questions that come by just starting with that question. Right? Yes. If you if you saw your parents doing certain things, how does that make you feel? Do you think that actually is impacting the way you manage money? You know, and they just go down though from there. So Yeah. The next one is to describe the temperament or personality of your future spouse and how this influences their money habits. So take a minute and maybe just write down the temperament that you believe that your future spouse has and how it's going to influence their money habits. And then once you've written it down and they've written down yours then exchange notes and talk mm-hmm. about it and say, yeah. hey, this is what I see. And, and let's see if that's the truth. And uh, there are all sorts of different money personality tests out there. So you could Google, you know, money personality types and tests. And you can see, you know, the driver and the spender and the amiable and the security saver. Seeker. Yeah, yeah, a security seeker. There's so many different types. Uh, but it'd be fun to do that. Uh, but first, just kind of write down what you see and then have a conversation around that. That's good. Here's another one. Have you seen your partner's credit score and discuss what it means? Oh, that's a big one. <laughs> yeah. Um, this is really a, a really big deal, especially as you're getting closer to marriage. So mm-hmm. Leo talked about the bridges that you cross. You probably don't cross this one on the first, second, or third date uh, unless you're getting married on the fourth date, which we don't recommend. <laughs> <No>. <laughs> so do that. so the, the credit score... Um, I don't, I don't think that everybody has to necessarily, you know, go up to their, their significant other and say, what's your credit score? What's going on with that? But it is really important to have a baseline understanding, especially if you're getting married later in life, mm-hmm. or if you're entering into a marriage, that's a second marriage for right. either one of you, right. uh, to be aware, oh, well, my spouse, uh, soon to be spouse just declared bankruptcy two years ago, that means they won't be eligible for a home loan for another two to five years potentially. And so maybe you have the expectation that you want to buy a house, but you can't because their credit is a mess. And maybe you don't have quite the same level of income or credit to buy the home on your own. And so you've just got to be aware that these things matter. And there may be things that, that your own partner doesn't even know is there. I mean, you've got somebody that you're dating and that person is uh, maybe has two or three credit cards, but they didn't realize they also have an old car loan on there and some other furniture loan that they've forgotten about and it's in default. So get a chance to clean those things up. Yeah, and you, you bring up a good point, David. I mean, there are people who are just not financially aware. You know, they, they get a credit card, they, they do things financially that have negative consequences, but they don't realize that this information is being compiled Right, and that there's a credit score that's being generated for them, even if they don't right. realize it is, it's right. there, and it could be, especially for younger people, it could be that that may be the first time they even considered pulling the credit report. Oh, for sure. And it may be a surprise to them that it is what it is, yeah. Or that what they did two, three years ago when they walked away from a a car loan or a lease or something that it it had these consequences. So, who knows? I mean, I think you have to be open to the you know the other person that you're going to connect with here. 
that they may not be educated. And yeah. it may be part of your responsibility if you want to take it on that you're going to bring them along if you're more educated than oh, they absolutely. are. Absolutely. Uh, but but more than anything is that you're having this discussion and you understand the consequences of saying I do and then going forward with this person and if they're responsible or not. So it really is about creating uh, the opportunity for you to understand what you're getting into and for them to know what they're getting into and make sure that you're both wise about moving forward. Yeah. And if they've never dealt with a credit score, just have them download episode 10 of Getting Money Right, right. and learn about the credit score. Uh, this is really good if you're young and about to get married. Uh, probably neither one of you have a long credit history, but it's good to know what it is before you even start. Not because you're spying on the other person, but because you're learning together mm -hmm. how to manage money. Right. And that's a really cool conversation. So it's creditkarma.com is where you can get your free score, or you can go to annualcreditreport.com to download your free report. And then uh, check, there's a few different sites now that offer the free score based on your report. So that's just, it's a, a, this is again, do not do this in the first four or five dates. <laughs> this is when you've been together for a year or so, or when you're planning to propose and you're just beginning to have these next level conversations. So what's the next one, Leo? So next question would be, do you have savings? And if you do, how much? And what are you saving for? Yeah, that's a great, a great one. So when Ashley and I were first dating, we were young, we didn't have a ton of money. Uh, but Ashley had some savings set aside. And it was more like a little emergency fund. But she she was a natural saver. She had something set aside. She didn't have a big income. She was in school full time. But just the fact that she had been setting something aside and wasn't mm. constantly upside down in her bank account. Yeah, that was really cool. And then Ashley, when we and I talked about that, I was able to share, well, I've got so much in savings as an emergency fund. And then I have some in savings uh, as a car replacement fund. And when we looked at getting married, she was going to need a new car. Right. And so uh, when I say a new car, we bought like a $5,400 car that was, you know, super compact and didn't have power locks and windows at the time, but it was better than no car at all. And we had the cash to go and do that. And so that conversation just allowed us to really get a, a picture into the other person's personality with savings. That's really good. It's just important to just get the perspective of what this person thinks about savings. You know, are they a spendthrift and they're like, well, ah, savings not really necessary, or is it a real big need for them? Right. You know, and sometimes right. that could be good, sometimes it could be too much. Right. So it just opens the door for that communication. That's good. So the fifth question is which of you live on a written spending plan? Uh, so, you know, Ashley, do you have a budget in place? David, do you have a budget in place? And when we first started dating, uh, neither of us had any kind of budget in place. And it probably wasn't uh, till more than a year into our marriage that we had gotten enough financial sense around it where I had begun to build a budget based on my income. And she had a basic outline of her budget, although she was just working part time, so she didn't have a big income, but she had a little bit of a plan. So share that plan with each other. And I've told this story before, but when I first, when we first got married, was when I really first shared the budget with her and said, here's the new plan. Here's what we're going to do. And she just said, we're not going to do that. <laughs> that's <laughs> your plan. There. Right. Yeah, that's your plan. That's not our plan. Right. And shut that down real fast. But I had not showed shown her my budget until after we got married. Wow. And, and that was a really funny moment. So uh, it'd be fun if you could do that in advance of getting married, maybe over coffee and just make a date out of it. Yep. And you can always go to leosabo.com or to gatewaypeople.com and you can find all these resources. Right? Yeah. Both of them have them and you can, you can take advantage of those. All right, so here's the next question. What debts 
do each of you bring into the marriage mm. and what should be paid first? Okay, that is a good one. <laughs> Especially when what we're going to do when you get married is combine finances. Mm-hmm. And this is where we're going to sit down together and it's not just his debts on one side and her debts on the other. We're actually going to make a list where we begin to combine those and we're going to go smallest to largest. Yeah. And it's no longer his and hers. It's our debt. Yeah, that's very important. And we're changing the pronouns very intentionally. Mm-hmm. We have this amount of debt. We are going to pay this off. We are together in our income and in our spending and in knocking out our debt. This is not, oh, he brought this debt in and she brought that debt in. Even when Ashley and I talk about it in, from from the past perspective saying, okay, well, Ashley had this student loan and I had this student loan. I try not to emphasize that it was Ashley's debt, student yeah. loan. Yeah. Uh, the only reason I even use that adjective is just to say, you know, she went to school, she had a loan, but then as soon as it, as soon as we got married, it was our student loan. Right. And right. so it's no longer her responsibility. It's our responsibility because marriage is a very unifying act and we need to be unified. That's good. And it's also something that's important to talk about in, in when you're dating, because if that debt is something that you as a person doesn't want to take on, I know people, I know couples that actually put off marriage because they said, we're each going to pay off our debt and then we're going to enter marriage debt-free. Yeah. And I know one specific couple where he had a bunch of debt and she said, I'll marry you, but only after you pay off your debt. Wow. And tell you what, man, that made him very motivated. <laughs> he was to pay motivated. Off that debt. There was nothing more motivating than that. Yeah. So yeah. just, again, just opens the door to that conversation so there's no surprises. I think I saw a study, and I'm not going to get the stat exactly right, but it was somewhere around 30 to 50% of young people have delayed getting married because of mm-hmm. their student loans. Yep. Literally, the amount of debt they had in student loans caused them to delay their marriage. Doesn't mean they never got married, no, d- but just they delay. delayed it. And yeah. I think that's really, really surprising. I think um, it's smart. Yeah. I really do. I think it's so hard to, you know, sometimes, like we said earlier at the beginning of the program, that two are better than one, but realize that if you both have the student loan debt, when you get married, you're moving into a place that you're going to live together. So now a certain amount of your income is going to go toward just your living expenses, expenses that may not be there if you're still living at home with your parents. So the idea there is not, okay, I'm renting my own place. I'm doing all of that. No, you're actually still living at home and paying everything off. And then you can then step out of that situation, get married and be able to afford your place together because you don't have this overwhelming debt that you're both bringing into the marriage. So there's a benefit to that. Uh, And I think maybe that's what's happening. I don't know for sure, but it sounds like a reasonable assumption. Yeah, it's causing people to have more conversations and it's more normalized to have that conversation. People are less afraid to ask about their future spouse's student loan debt because it's so common and prevalent in our society. Uh, another thing that you should definitely ask is, do you plan to take on more debt between now yeah. and the marriage? And that's a really big question because let's say that you're going to do a one-year engagement and the person is going to end up buying a $15,000 car and a $4,000 engagement ring and uh, maybe a, a gas grill for $2,000. And, <laughs> and you know, they, they pack on another twenty grand in debt without you even realizing it. Right. So I, it's a it's a funny, but just say, hey, are you planning to borrow anything else in the near future before we get married? Because we're about to get married and it's about to become our debt. So don't try to don't try to sneak it in under the radar. <laughs> Let's have some conversation. Yeah. I mean, I, I could definitely see that happening. In fact, I think sometimes when you're that serious and you've decided to engage, uh, that there is a value in sitting down and actually beginning to plan together meaning not necessarily joining accounts or anything like that, but run a budget together where you're both 
talking about those expenses that are coming up, whether it's your honeymoon, whether it's your wedding expenses, all of those things. And it does help both of you get that head start. Well, I hope that you've enjoyed going through a few of these questions. We actually have several more that we're going to do at the beginning of the next episode as we begin to dig into your dating relationship, your pre-marriage relationship, what it looks like to be newlyweds, and then finally long-term financial success in your marriage. We're talking about that over a three-part series on finances, romance, and relationships. So join us next week as we dig in to the rest of these questions and then the next step in that process. Now, we do want to say thank you for listening to this episode. If you enjoyed it, please rate, review, and subscribe to the podcast on iTunes or Google Play, CastBox, Stitcher, wherever you're listening. Hit the five star or the thumbs up, whatever option it gives you, and subscribe. Uh, let us know. Send a, put a little comment on there. Tell us how much you're enjoying it, anything we can improve on. The other thing is don't forget to go back and look for the show notes for this episode at leosabo.com. Uh, you'll also find the resources that we're talking about, the debt snowball, the building a budget together. That's a great place where the two of you can sit down together and build a budget, learn to plan together, put together a sample plan. Let's say that two of you have two different incomes and are coming together for the first time. Well, you can dream a little bit. What mm -hmm. would it look like if we earned 50,000? Because there's a guideline for 50,000. What would right. it look like if we earned 100,000? Well, there's right. a guideline for if you earned 100,000. How much uh, house could we afford? How much could we afford to give and help other people? So be dreaming a little bit. Part of this process is that dreaming. Uh, the other thing you can do is go to stewardshippastors.com and check out the book, Jesus on Money. It's got every scripture that Jesus, anything that Jesus ever said about money, every scripture categorized and laid out in an easy to read format on what the Bible and what Jesus said about money, uh, stewardship, our possessions. So check out that book at Jesus on Money. And of course, join us next week because we look forward to spending time with you so that together we, we can, can keep getting, getting money, money right. right. So both of us wanted to have stuff, you know, we thought that was going to make us happy and whatever, but not having those conversations and then coming to the table with these different perspectives and selfish perspectives, uh, both pulling in different directions, man. It just, it caused a real mess the first 10 years. Mm -hmm.